We continue our journey to Jerusalem uh, and our series of sermons um, from the Gospel of John. Uh, we affirm that the light has indeed come. This is what John is trying to explain to us, that, that Jesus is the light of the world and a new light, a light that's giving emphasis and life to, um, to resurrected life and what that looks like. Uh, our text this morning comes from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9, the first part of that, verse 9. You do realize, don't you, that the numbers were all made up. They're added by editors later just for reference. They don't necessarily break down the stories the way we might break them down, and sometimes it breaks down stories in the middle of it. And so you miss the emphasis. It's just what we've been given. We are not changing it, and that's the way it is. So you can read it without the numbers. It's a real interesting experiment. <clears throat> After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethesda, or Bethesda which has five porticos, or pools. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. And there was one man there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? You could <clears throat> look at that verse and say, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was made well. He took up his mat and began to walk. Pray with me. Help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus looks at this person and says, do you want to be healed? And then the man responds, <clears throat> but not to the question that Jesus asked, but to the question that he heard. And the question that he heard is, why haven't you been healed? Or why have you been here so long? You've been here 38 years. Why have you been here so long? Why aren't you better. And the man can't hear Jesus' question. And the, answer, the question to me is, well, why? Why can't he hear Jesus? Do you want to be healed? Instead, he answers, I've been here a long time. There's no one to help me in. There's a whole lot of reasons why I can't get up and why I'm still here. The man doesn't have the imagination to hear Jesus' question. It doesn't occur to him anymore. After 38 years, he's heard it over and over and over again, and he simply doesn't have the imagination anymore to think that there's something more. C.S. Lewis uh, likens it to um, a boy who um, is content to make mud pies in the gutters of a London slum because he can't see, conceive of a holiday at the beach 
where he could build sandcastles by the ocean. He's never seen a beach. He can't think of it. And so he's content thinking, this is the best. But he can't imagine what it would be like to build sandcastles by the sea. N.T. Wright in his commentary on this, and I encourage you all to, to pick it up. It's not expensive. You can buy it by Kindle. Um, the Gospel of John is in two parts, and so it's two books, but well worth it. Um, there's a study guide that goes with it. I hope you'll use along the way as well. But he, he tries to illustrate this um, passage by telling a story. In fact, sometimes that's the best way to get inside of one of Jesus' stories is to tell another story that would be like it. So he tells the story about a man who um, had a huge estate and he fell ill. And, uh, and what happened was there were people coming and going all the time, doctors, nurses, uh, visitors, but there was nobody taking care of the the lands, the property itself. And it was a large estate with gardens and all kinds of things. And uh, two boys in the neighborhood noticed that nobody was paying attention to the garden, so they co-opted it for themselves. It became their playground. And one of the things they encountered on the grounds that they had never seen before was a tennis court. They'd never seen tennis played. They never knew anything about it. And so they saw this court. They knew it was for a game of some sort, and it was kind of a mess. There were leaves everywhere, and the net was sagging, and there was nothing about it that, that was inviting. So they, they uh, decided they would play a game. Of course, N.T. Wright is, is uh, British, and um, so he talks about playing football, and he means that round ball that uh, we call soccer. And he says they created a game where they would stand on opposite sides of the court and they would kick the ball over and try to land it in one of the rectangles on the other side. And they'd score points for where it landed in the rectangle. And then they'd kick it back or they'd try to intercept it. And what he says about the game is that it um, really wasn't all that great. That uh, it was a pretty unimaginative and unexciting ball game as far as things went. Well, one day... Um, the, the man who owned the estate, his son came to visit. He lived far away and uh, came to visit. And he was upstairs. He was looking out the window and he saw the boys playing on the tennis court with a soccer ball. And, uh, and he was quite amused. And he decided that uh, he would gather up the tennis equipment that they had and pull it all together and go down and introduce them to the game of tennis. And he gets down there and, uh, and um, he... He talks to them and says, um, says this. Wouldn't you like to play the real thing? And their response is, what's the real thing? And in the story, it's tennis, of course. And he says that they, he gives them the rackets, the balls, he tightens up the net, he cleans the court off, and he begins to teach them a game that in the long run will be more satisfying, but in the short term is harder. And Jesus looks at the man at the pool and says, wouldn't you like to play the real thing? The pool of Bethesda, uh, the pool of purported healing, not just for Jews, but for pagans as well, was at best arbitrary. 
At one time, it was dedicated to the Greek uh, demigod Asepolis, who is son of Apollo, and his staff is a symbol of, of medicine in our time, one of the parts of that. And, uh, and it worked some of the time, apparently, and some of the time it didn't. Um, the, uh, the pagans had a dim view of, kind of a dim, far-off view of what healing might look like. And the way it worked was that uh, when the bubbles appeared in the pool, that it was a sign, uh, for the Jews anyways, that an angel had come and was stirring up the waters. And the goal was that you had to see it, get in really quick while the angel was still stirring the waters, and you would be the one to get the healing. But you had to be first and you had to be quick. N.T. Wright comments on it. He says, the shrine didn't seem particularly successful. Man, been there 38 years. Wright goes on and says, clearly the man Jesus found lying there had made a way of life out of his long wait for healing. Jesus' question to him is perhaps quite pointed. Do you really want to get better? Or are you now quite happy to eke out your days lounging around here with the feeble excuse that someone else always gets in first? I believe this text, in it, Jesus turns to us and says, do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be made new? Wouldn't you like to play the real thing? I was about to turn 40. I'd been the pastor of a church um, that I helped start for six years. I'd been a Christian at that time for um, 25 years. And I remember at that time, I, my mother had just died, and I was driving along. I'd been reading some books about different things, about being your true self. And I, I remember thinking to myself, when are you going to take this Christian stuff seriously? And it's like a light went on. And I realized that for 25 years, I dabbled in the faith. 25 years I'd been going. And I'd not gone in for the full treatment. I don't know what I was afraid of. But the question was, would I submit my life to Jesus? Would I truly be a disciple? Or would I stay in the place where I was comfortable? Would I stay in the shallows of the pool where I could touch the bottom and not go into the deep water? Well, it led me to spiritual direction that I've been in since another 25 plus years. And take a daily, if I would to choose to do so, an inventory of my life and take corrective actions as time went on, responding in, to God's grace in my life. I needed to come out of the shallows and out of the shadows. I needed to come in 
to the light and let God take a look. And I think that's what's happening in this text. That Jesus is confronting this person saying, are you content to continue to live out the life, the comfort that you've carved out for yourself? Craig, are you content after 25 years to live out the life you've carved out for yourself? Craig, are you content after 50 years to live out the life that you're comfortable with? I have a lot of knowledge about the faith, folks. Religious studies major in college. I, I've been in Bible studies my whole life. I've taught Bible studies my whole life. I've been to seminary and have a graduate degree in theology. I have a, another graduate degree in, in what it means to plant new churches. I have advanced information and, and all kinds of things about the faith that I know. I know it pretty deeply. I've been in spiritual direction for more than 25 years, and the question's the same to me today as it was 25 years ago. Are you willing to subject yourself to Jesus? Do you really want to be healed? Do you really want to play the real thing, Craig? Kingdom living's the real thing. Living the way Jesus expects us to be is the real thing. Think about it. I've been talking about the table quite a bit. In a couple weeks, we'll celebrate communion together. But at the table in the kingdom, I will often say at the communion table, I will say that, that people will gather from north, south, east, and west and sit at table in the kingdom of God. And when I say that, what we know is that people will come from every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity, every language, and we will sit at table in the kingdom of God and we won't notice the difference. It won't be there. We can claim that we're not racist, but then only sit at the table with people that are like us. That goes across the board to all races, all languages, all ethnicities, all countries. And Jesus' words come to us and said, would you like to play the real thing? Would you like to play where there is neither Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave nor free, as Paul puts it? Would you like to play in God's kingdom, in the garden, as it were, the way God intended things to be? Would you like to do it? I'm very much aware of what's happened in this congregation, that when um, the session decided to, to move forward in being anti-racist, as uh, a congregation that there have been uh, uh, it's created a lot of upheaval and challenges and yet I have to tell you that it is kingdom living to be anti-racist it just is it's the north south east and west part folks I don't know why anybody should find this surprising I really don't because it is the game that God wants us to play it's the real thing. It's real living. 
And the question that Jesus asks, he uses this word. He says to the man sitting by the pool of Bethesda, he says, get up. It's the same word used for resurrection. Be resurrected from your crippled life. Stand up and walk. And the question for us is, can we stand up? Can we rise to the occasion and get in the real game that Jesus is bringing? Or are we content to sit by the pool and rest upon the comfort of what we've learned in the past? I think this is a word for us as a church. It's a word for us as individuals. Are you content with the faith that you've had the last 25 or 30 years? Are you comfortable just saying, I'm going to live in this place as though God isn't doing anything new and God isn't instructing us in any new way of being? Are you content to sit by the pool and Jesus comes to you and says, you want to get in the real thing? Because the real thing is a world that is so different from the one we know. And we can only be like people making mud pies when there's a holiday at the beach planned. Are you content to sit by the pool and not go in for the full cure? It's not just anti-racism. Folks, there's a lot of things that go with it. How about picking up on an idea that you think is righteous and good and, and then pressing it on others to press them to come along with you? But when people don't, they're vilified. That's the same thing. So which part of that are you on? In the body of Christ, we're not enemies of each other. In the body of Christ, we are to get beyond these designations and become one people. That's the real thing. Lay down our weapons, lay down our words, lay down our agendas. Even if they're great agendas, God wants to do something greater. Wright talks about this passage, says, so for the pagans, said that the pagans who looked at this, the, the worshipers of the, this Greek god or demigod of healing, said that, that they look at the world of creation, they try to harness forces within it for its own ends. So the way that, that uh, pagan religion worked is to look around for powerful things in the world and then they would try to co-opt those things for their own ends. Where are the gods in the trees or the gods in the rivers or the gods in these other things? And we would co-opt that power. Here's a pool that seems spiritual and able to heal. Well, let's co-opt that so we can use it for our agenda. And Wright would say it's such a dim view of what God's trying to do. It is such a shallow vision of the way things are. Because all they can do is think of maybe physical healing 
or healing of, of some sort that's on the outside. But that's not the point, is it? The point goes well beyond it. See, we can succumb to the standards of the culture just as easily as we can demand others join us in it. We can identify how right we are and try to harness that rightness as power. Even a good value like being anti-racist can be misused if it's being achieved by imposition or coercive action. I can do good things for all the right reasons and the wrong motivations and the wrong tactics. Jesus came to bring new life, not just a shift in the balance of power. I was uh, in South Africa in uh, 2016 at a conference for people who were trying to launch new churches around the world. And the International Conference for Fresh Expressions was in Cape Town. And I had a couple of days. I got there early, and, and uh, the day before the conference began, we went on a tour. We were, we were, our intention was to go wine tasting, which we did. We were, Cape Town's in this beautiful region uh, near an area called Stellenbosch that has some of the great wineries in the world, some of the oldest wineries in the world. And um, so we were headed there, but the guy that was taking us out to where we wanted to go, it was a little early. So he said, would you like to see some other things? I said, Sure. So he took us on a tour that very few got to see. And uh, he is somebody who had lived in the great slum just outside of Cape Town. And, uh, and he said, would you like to see it? We said, well, if we're not gawkers, yeah. We don't want to come in and, and just be eyes to the window staring. But if you feel like it's not like that, then we'd be happy to. And um, we did. And this thing went on for miles. It was huge. And he began to tell a story about his own existence and the issue of apartheid. In, uh, in South Africa, he said there were um, three or four tiers of people, three or four castes, you might say. There were um, whites, there were blacks, there were colored, and then Indian people, <laughs> people from India. And he said that was the structure. He said, before apartheid, it was white, black, colored, and uh, Indian. He said, after apartheid fell, he said it was black, white, colored, Indian. He said the only thing that changed for him was who his overlord was. I, was, I, I, didn't, I still don't know what to make of it. But that was his experience. This is not a survey. But what it says is that we can buy into worldly understandings of things and not achieve what God intends. Because what God intends is bigger than what we can imagine. It's where the lines not are merely blurred, but they're taken away. Jesus isn't trying to make a shift in the balance of power. Jesus is bringing a new day, a new world, a new life. So get up, rise up. 
And Jesus still asks us the question this morning. Do you want the real thing? Can you let go of the position you've anchored into? Can you let go of what you think you know? And can you go in for the full treatment where daily you place yourself open before God, you present your body as a living sacrifice, which means that you are just available to die to yourself and to live to Jesus. Do you want the real thing? It is Jesus' way. There's no room for racism and there's no room for indecision. It's an old philosophical thing, decision by indecision. If you can't decide what, then it's not Jesus' way. There's no room to look at a brother or sister and refer to those people as them. You and I can't say to the hand, I don't need you. To go in for the real thing is to let go of all the things that hold us back from being the people God intends. Where love reigns and goodness prevails. Pray with me. God, I need to hear the words I've just said. So I don't pray for the people of this church. I pray for myself. I need to go in again today for the full treatment. I really do want to be in the game. I believe. Help my unbelief. In Jesus' name.